What's up, everyone? Welcome into another special podcast, ESPN's Ball in the Real World. We're here post-trade deadline. And as you are listening to this, I'm sure if you're a fan of the NBA, you are well aware that the trade, the most discussed trade over the course of really the last six months or since last year's postseason has gone down. We're going to be talking Ben Simmons. We're going to be talking James Harden as well. I've got Peter Hooley here. Steve Smith is here. We, we are going to break it all down. Uh, before we dive into it, I should say, make sure you do go to ESPN.com.au. Check out all the trade grades, all the trade reaction. Everything you need is right there at the website. And also check out the jump on ESPN on Friday nights. Ramona Shelburne, who uh, has been at the forefront of the Ben Simmons news over the last couple of weeks is on the show uh, Friday night as you're listening to this podcast, depending when you get to it. So make sure you check out uh, the jump there as well. Uh, Steve, Pete, we were waiting for this. Uh, I I guess the first question before we get into the details of this trade, were you shocked, Steve, that when you woke up this morning, maybe you were up all night, maybe you were looking through, maybe you were (laughs) waiting for this trade to go down, but were you surprised that this deal got done? Yeah, I was really surprised. Um, trade, trade deadline finally delivered what we all really, really wanted. But for me, trading in conference when you trade a superstar away, that, that usually doesn't happen. Like you usually don't see a trade where they trade in conference to a team that's literally just down the road. So I think for me, that was the most surprising part that it, that it even got done. But I'm, I'm glad it did because and it's off the bat, I think it's one of those trades that is early on at least, win-win. I'm, yeah, I'm with you. I, again, I, I'm mad that I went to sleep because you should, everyone knows <laughs> that when the, the end of the last few hours of the trade deadline, Woj goes crazy and just everything happens for some reason. They just, everyone waits for the last t- 20 minutes and just goes nuts. But as a Brooklyn fan, I am very happy, I think, overall with what happened. And if anyone's seen any of the, the All-Star Game draft, um, some of the questions they asked KD, the responses... It wasn't a happy time in Brooklyn. And uh, I think in the end, I think it is. I think it's more of a win for Brooklyn that we'll get into. But I'm just glad that something happened. I think something had to happen. You had two teams that right are powerhouses in the East. And they both needed to do something. But in the end, I'm not sure Philly, Philly overall got really what they wanted. Because they wanted picks. And they gave up picks. And then got so I'm not sure how I think it's still a win, but it's still it's mind blowing that it happened the way it did. Do you, get into do you not think that that's sorry? I was just going to say, do you, do you not think that's the best deal they could possibly get though, Bulls? Like realistically, like that's the like, and full credit to Maury, I think here is in that he said from word go that he was not going to give up Ben Simmons unless he got an All Star caliber player back. So he's done that. He's held out and at least done that. But I don't see any other options that that were as palatable as this. So let's just just get to the details of the trade first. Let's actually break it down in case anyone's listening and they aren't across this. I'm sure everyone is. But uh, Philadelphia are getting uh, James Harden and uh, also Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap wasn't really playing. He didn't want to be there anymore. Whether or not he plays in Philadelphia, who even knows? We'll wait and see what happens there. Uh, He didn't look like a player that had a lot left in the tank when he was playing with Brooklyn either way. Uh, For the Nets, obviously, they get Ben Simmons. They also get a couple of players. Seth Curry is going over there. There was some controversy. Doc Rivers sending away the son-in-law in in a a trade package there. And uh, Andre Drummond also going to Brooklyn. And then a couple of picks that you were alluding to, Paul. So a 2022 first round. That's coming up in this year's draft. 
basically where Philadelphia are right now. You know that pick is probably going to be from 20 to 30. It's going to be in that range unless something completely insane happens in Philadelphia. But it's going to be around that range. And then there's a 2027 first rounder that uh, can actually be a 2028. That's years away. Figure about figure out uh, that later. But to me, to your point, Hulls, about the fact that you know what Philadelphia might have been chasing in this deal, to me, this is exactly this has played out exactly the way Philadelphia wanted it to play out because they've been waiting. They weren't going to pull the trigger early on a deal. They're waiting to the deadline. And what they were banking on was a superstar player becoming disgruntled. And yes, they might have been hoping that it was Damian Lillard. Yes, they might have been hoping that it was Bradley Beal. They both were injured. But in the end, this deal only gets done because Brooklyn understand that James Harden, the situation is untenable with James Harden in Brooklyn anymore because if they thought that that situation was fine and they could work through that, then they're sticking with Harden, Irving, and Durant, and they're trying to win the damn title this year. So to me, Philadelphia have gotten lucky that things have got completely out of control in Brooklyn, which made Brooklyn scared enough to say, okay, fine, we can't have Harden anymore. What's the best deal we can get for him right now? It's Ben Simmons. Well, they always wanted something in there because everyone was talking about maybe Kyrie for Ben, uh, just trying to get rid of one ball-dominant guard. You've got James Harden and Kyrie both. Yes, Kyrie, they kind of figured it out when they played together of who plays in the two, how do we kind of fix this out, and then you've got KD. But in the end, I think it's something for Philly. If we look at Philly, I think they wanted, that Brooklyn wanted Matisse pretty badly in the deal, and Philly said, no, nah, there's no way. And that speaks the volumes of what they need for Matisse uh, in Philadelphia. Um, and I think, again, James Harden is going to take pressure off Tobias Harris, who's had his inconsistencies this year. And, and when he is rolling, he can be an absolute stud and be arguably one of the, if not the best player in the competition right now. So I think it's great in terms of that. And it's going to give guys a fresh start. Um, but the, the Seth Curry and Andre Jung, I think that's going to work out well for Brooklyn in the end and, and what they need and, and just different pieces here or there. Paddy Mills probably ends up being back in the sixth man role. Where he shot, I think, to start with. That was kind of where he came in, got shots up. And uh, at one point, we were talking, will he be a sixth man of the year until Tyler Hero decided, and that's just what I'm going to take as take home as my award. But, yeah, there's a lot of wins out of there. The picks was just the interesting thing because Dale Moore was saying, well, I want to get some picks back in return. And then in the end, gave them up. But you're right, as you mentioned, for they needed a disgruntled star and they got one, but it just fell apart with James Harden over the last what month or two where really quickly of you go from being happy you wanted to be there to straight away get me out. And then I don't know what happened in the last twelve hours, but this man must have just said, Whatever it takes, please get me out. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think Brooklyn, it's probably almost certainly not what they wanted and envisaged when they acquired Harden. But this probably makes them better. Like, I think it's less of a problem to fit Ben Simmons into Brooklyn than, than it was to fit Harden in. Like, there certainly won't be issues around number of shots or anything like that. They needed an elite defender, and they've certainly got that now. And they've added, like you said, some shooting and some interior muscle. So to get, to get all that and get rid of two players who didn't want to be there, that's kind of, you know, that's, that's as good as they can hope for, really, I think. So in theory... I think, I look at this trade, in theory, in a perfect world, if James Harden is happy in Philadelphia, if James Harden, uh, his hamstring magically repairs itself, which I think there is some skepticism <laughs> around that injury. So if he's fine, if he's happy, happy, if Ben Simmons actually returns, and again, uh, Ramona Shelburne is saying that he is going to take some time here. He probably won't play 
until at mm-hmm. least after the All-Star break. So just to put the numbers in front of you guys here now. So as it stands right now, we're recording this just after the deadline on Friday. It's been 615 days. Uh, sorry, sorry. It's been, there are 65 days until the postseason. Ben Simmons hasn't played uh, since last June. June the 6th was the last time that he played in that game against Atlanta. So by the time he returns, you're looking at about 10 months away from the game. There's only 28 games until the postseason now. Kevin Durant is still out with his medial collateral ligament injury. He said today on the broadcast that he's not really sure when he's going to return. So Brooklyn are running out of a little bit of time here to get this sorted. But in a perfect world, I do think that if everything works out, there's some thought that the vaccine mandate is going to be lifted in New York City. It has for New York State. We'll see what that means for New York City moving forward. Kyrie Irving can potentially play every game. I do see a scenario where both teams got better. Let's talk about Ben specifically. That's what we're here for. So keeping in mind that we don't know what really shape he is in and when he's going to return and when he's going to play. Let's just talk about the fit in a perfect world with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Hulls, what do you think? I love it. I I really do. I think it's something that you look at Ben's size, what Ben brings to a team. And this is an all-star caliber guy. I mean, this is what we've we've come to know and love about Ben Simmons. Yes, he has his issues on the offensive end, but when you've got guys who are such great isolation players like Kyrie Irving and KD and you put them in their spots, Ben Simmons doesn't have to camp at the three. Whether he comes to the short corner or plays off those two plays, I think he's only going to get better and more confident on the offensive end because he has two of the best one-on-one scorers we've seen in the game. And I think that's going to be really key for him. You you can't really necessarily run a double at one because you're going to have Kyrie out there. Then you've got Patty, you've got Seth Curry, so you can't leave them. If Ben starts to fit around them, it's going to be such a good environment for him to play in. Again, that was something that really worried me, seeing the clutch sports and them come out saying, look, he's not ready to play yet. I was kind of, You kind of hope that, okay, you got your trade, you've got to be ready to go. And obviously, yeah. he's got things to work through. So that's going to be interesting because, you know, KD and Kyrie, That's the, those two have really built Brooklyn. That's what they wanted. And when they signed Steve Nash and they – had the interview and they said, look, well, we're basically coaching the team. Yes, Steve's going to be here, but that's we've got veterans and leaders who are going to do it. Like That's alarm bells for a little bit. And I think that's why they're sticking with Kyrie and KD we had a lot of say in that. So Ben's going to have to really adapt to the things, but I think it can be such a great situation. And now media-wise, we talk about being a Philly. If you can't handle the media, you can't handle the fans. It's not a very fun place to be. New York media, New York fans, they're, they're just as bad. So, if he can't, well, that's going to be an interesting thing. But overall, I'm really excited for what this could mean for Ben uh, and the future. And if you don't look too far ahead, but the Olympics coming up, and you've got some, some things like World Cup, you've got things like that. Like, if he starts to get in a really good rhythm and good mentally, then this is what all Australian basketball fans want. Yeah, I go along with all of that. And especially, I think, you know, we, we talk about his fit offensively, but they were crying out for an elite defender, as I said earlier. And he's going to help so much in that department because he can basically play one through five at that end. It doesn't really matter. And you're talking about one of the fastest, you know, end-to-end players in the league. So he brings a unique skill set that they really, really needed. Um, and as you said, look, they're going to put him alongside a bunch of shooters. He doesn't need to score a lot. He doesn't even need to take a lot of shots. So there's really nothing that's, that you don't love about how he fits in, theoretically, assuming that once he's in game shape and, and things like that. And the fun part is they they go to Philly in like 25 days. So you would mm. assume he's probably almost about ready to suit up by then. You would hope so. 
So, and after that, well, I don't know. He's not, not going to play for... in that game. He's not playing in that game. No. <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out. Imagine that. Okay, why, so what happened? you rule it okay, out? So let's, so let's say that he doesn't play in it, right? And then is he, is he going to skip? Like, so what happens then? Because everyone's praying now for a Brooklyn-Philly playoff series. Oh, yeah. How's that going to go? He's got to get it out of the way at some point. Well, I think this is where it comes back to the, the topic that we can't actually specifically have too much of an opinion about, and that is the mental health side, because we don't mm. know how mm. he's actually feeling. And that's why you'll never mm. hear, hear me question that or say that, you know, whatever, uh, because I don't know. And, no. and, it's, and it's impossible to know what he's going through. But yeah, I mean, this is going to be a real challenge for him moving forward when he does play Philadelphia, but when he plays on the road and he hears it from the crowd, uh, those things aren't going to go away. There's no doubt about that. And I spoke about the fact that we are so close to the playoffs and he's now gone to a team that thinks that they can win the title. So those challenges are going to be there. Pools, you spoke about you know, the positioning on the court and where he can be. And this is why I think it's interesting because you've both already pointed out, if you have Kyrie Irving and you have Kevin Durant, this is already a completely different dynamic to what he had in Philadelphia. Now, I think that you can, we've seen, particularly in the modern game, you can have a big man that can control the offense. And you think about a generational guy like Jokic, who does it in Denver. But Jokic isn't the same player as Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid is closer to the traditional big man that likes to get the ball, physically dominate down low. That's what he does. I wouldn't describe Joel Embiid as a world-class facilitator. But what he didn't really have in Philadelphia was a guy that could run the offense from the perimeter and break teams down in a half court, which is what Ben Simmons really struggled with. People always said that I think that, well, certainly was, was my opinion. I thought Ben Simmons should have played more off the ball in Philadelphia, being used as a screener, put him in the dunker spot. But the problem is you couldn't really do that in Philadelphia because they didn't have anyone else to play that position. So now Ben Simmons, as you pointed to defensively, he can guard fours, he can guard fives, he can, he can guard anyone. But on the offensive end, I see people making comments today, well, they're still going to defend him the same way that they did and they're going to sag off in the perimeter. Well, yeah, they will. If he has the ball at the top, he doesn't really need to. He can be the guy setting the screens. He's a dominant force as a role man. He can stand there in the dunker spot. He's an elite finisher around the rim. Last year, he's a little bit down 63% within five feet, but I would expect that that's going to get up closer to 70 when he's playing alongside Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So all things considered, if he's on the floor, I think that now he is in a better position for his skill set. I think it was going to be the way we looked at, we always wanted Ben in the green and gold. And I was always thinking, if he does play for Australia, yes, he can be our one man. He can bring the ball to the floor, but he's probably going to defend the four on the other side. Right? That's just the uniqueness of Ben's skill set. I think it's going to be flipped in Brooklyn, essentially. You're going to have, yeah, Kyrie's going to have the ball. So maybe he, on uh, the defensive end, is playing in the big role in the four spot. And then on the offensive end, um, Sorry, playing in that spot in the defense, man. He's going to go guard the elite guards. In the, and that's what they, as you said, Steve, they've been crying out for someone, not just a good defender, a really world-class defender to lock up other opposition guards. James Harden's never been that guy. Kyrie Irving's never been that guy. Kevin Durant can do it, but Kevin Durant, you need to be the ISO offensive guy. He's the weapon. Yeah. So they've been wanting this. And if Ben can tap back into that a little bit, obviously changes the way he plays. It's going to be so good to see him really, I think, have the opportunity to flourish in this system with shooters around him. And honestly, I think the best possible case for everybody involved in Australian basketball is day in and day out, he's going to have Paddy Mills there in his ear, helping him get through things, helping him learn, become adapted to the Brooklyn style, 
or different ways. And you've got Kevin Durant saying early on, Paddy Mills is the absolute true professional he's ever seen. And that's exactly what I think Ben needs, someone who's going to take him under his wing, help him get through anything that he needs to. As you mentioned, Kane, the obstacles are going on the road. Paddy Mills is going to be an absolute shining light for Ben in this whole situation. Yeah, the, the biggest concern I guess I have at this point in time is just we've seen before when Ben's been asked to have less of a, a playmaking role, how is he going to deal with that this time around? Because he's, he's bulked it before it. You know, I don't want to go mm. to a team where I'm playing the four, where I'm playing, where I'm not playing the one on offense. And I'm just curious to see how he, how he reacts and adapts to that at Brooklyn. Because I, I, think, I think you're right, Wolves. I don't think he's going to have the ball in his hands as much as what he previously did. So how he adapts to that is probably the biggest key. So we've spoken about Paddy Mills here, and I think that this is, this is kind of a, another interesting part of this. I mean, when you bring in Seth Curry, I think it is fair to say, particularly if Curry Irving is going to uh, be playing potentially on a nightly basis, we'll see whether that plays out. There's no doubt. I mean, I know you mentioned that his role changed and he has still thrived previously in the six-man role. Uh, but I think it has been a little bit more of a struggle for Paddy since Kyrie came back. And I think it makes perfect sense. He's gone from knowing that he's starting, knowing where his shots are coming, knowing that he's having the ball. All of a sudden, he's off the bench. Now he's back starting. Now he's back off the bench. It's not an ideal situation. Seth Curry does project as a guy that they're going to want to play. And I think from a lineup perspective, Particularly in the playoffs, there's some interesting stuff there because you can't play Curry Irving, Patty Mills, and Seth Curry together. There's no way. And Seth Curry, it's interesting. If you go back to that series against Atlanta, I don't think it gets spoken about enough. Of course, Ben Simmons got all the attention. Tobias Harris a little bit. Seth Curry has had a very good season, but he was absolutely bullied by Kevin Herter in that game seven. He was seeking him out on every single possession. So defensively, there are some question marks there. But I, I think it's interesting. How do you think this impacts Patty Mills? Well, again, in any professional team, any organization, sport, role clarity is so important and trying to gather the momentum, gain everything going towards winning a championship. And everybody gets judged on the championships and being a winner. So I think now you're right. It's going to have that bit more of role clarity uh, about him. And I don't actually think we'd be with at full strength. We'd probably see Seth and Patty on the floor together at all. I think it's just no, no but that's going to work. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's going to be the situation of if they're going against a team that someone's having success just going at both of them when they're on the floor, then you're going to have the opportunity to bring in other guys and just have to try and adapt to that. And the one that's not going to get spoken about enough in this whole the thing is what is Andre Drummond being on that other end coming in? Uh, they're a team that maybe we might even see Ben Simmons, KD, just play in the bigs. They switch everything. So there's going to be so much to work with for Steve Nash and, that's the big key is there's not many there's not many days left until the postseason. You want to have it figured out. You want to know what everybody's roles are. You want to basically, ideally, you want to play every team to see where the success is you're going to have. We might have another still a situation where really the Brooklyn Nets just want to outscore every team on every single night. They might have enough pieces to do it, let's be honest. Who do you think, Steve, if we look at this now and again, a lot of this conversation that we've had is best case scenario, particularly when it comes to Ben, because again, we've already said it. We don't know exactly what Ben Simmons is going to come, where he's going to be, uh, what sort of shape he is in both physically and mentally. We'll see. So we're looking at this from a best case scenario because that's what both teams want. Both teams think now that they can win the title. Do you look at either team, Philadelphia and Brooklyn, and feel strongly about either or if all things go to plan? 
Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think Philly are like, well, we we played pretty well without Ben Simmons, and now we've got an All Star playmaker. Exactly. You know, to to, to throw in. So it, it does raise some some points though about well, how in, in you talk about role clarity, but how does that how does this affect Maxi? Um, and you know, obviously they lose a, a shooter in Seth Curry, but again, like you said earlier, he probably hadn't been. And he, even this season, he'd probably dipped a little in the last month or so as well. So it's quite interesting to see what that effect will have. And for me, it's also looking a bit further ahead. I, I know you're talking about this season as well, but for Philly, what do they do after this season? And are they going to throw a four-year deal at James Harden next year? And how risky is that? Because are you looking at a, at a Westbrook East scenario where in three years' time, Harden will be rising 37. I think the last year of that deal would make him he'd be his 38th. You know, he'd be year 38. So he'd be, mm, I don't know about that. So it's pretty much... Are you trying to say you don't think league. James Harden is going to age well? That's, that's great. <laughs> what a take. <laughs> oh, but like, I mean, seriously, though, like, so it's, it's really win now for them, isn't it? Yeah, like, it is. At least, at least Brooklyn have have been and he's younger and they've got him locked up for the next, you know, three seasons. So they've got time. It's going to be an interesting dynamic to figure out in Philly. I, again, I think they do get better uh, initially. Mm. Uh, yeah. Talk about potential over the careers of guys who have had breakdowns, meltdowns in terms of either spinning the dummy or doing whatever. James Harden can do that if he wants. We've seen that and talk about the injury and just not be happy. He's done it now in Brooklyn. He's done it in other places. Joel Embiid has the, be a potential to snap at any point and just have run off and do his own thing. Doc Rivers has a couple of times where he gets the same. You've got three guys, three egos you've got to deal with. Um, again, I think for the for the short term, it's going to make them better. I think they're going to be able to play with that. Maxi's role might change a little bit, um, but Joel, Joel Embiid is a beast, and I think that's going to have to maintain. He's the main guy. Kevin Durant was the main guy in Brooklyn, even when James Harden was there. Tobias Harris, I think, will take a little bit of pressure off him. Uh, he's going to be able to continue to try and play with consistency because he's had his moments where he's given a little bit back to the Philly faithful and can't handle it. So short term, I think it's it's a really good thing, but can they grow with that in the long term? And again, you can't just win a, a championship with three superstars. You need a good supporting cast that can just do their roles. And will they have that in the crunch time? Well, I would love to see uh, just any playoff series with Philly and Brooklyn. I think that would be absolutely... <laughs> Even if it's not the Eastern Conference Finals, because I know Kane's boys will probably be there. Um, but I'm looking forward to, to all of it, the, the way it's going to play out. And if there is some stuff that just blows up, it's going to be a lot of fun for us to watch, that's for sure. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, when you talk about potential playoff matchups, we'll see how Brooklyn steadies now. Obviously, it's been a pretty rough road for them over the last couple of weeks, to say the least. Uh, but there is a possibility that there could be a 2-7 a 3-6 matchup. It could be a first-round matchup, which would be just an absolute bloodbath. Uh, in my opinion, I, I think that this is a, a big win for the Sixers. To your point, Steve, they add a, a star player, and I know that he's been a little bit up and down. But we know that James Harden, we've seen it in Houston. He didn't want to be there anymore. He threw in the towel. He definitely did yeah. a similar thing in, in Brooklyn. But when he first came to the Nets... He was firing on all cylinders. We know that he can turn it on. So he doesn't look like he's always in the best shape. He might not look like he has the best attitude. But I'm expecting him to be a rejuvenated in Philadelphia. And they've only got a short time here to get to the postseason. So I think certainly for this season, they're going to be fine. I think this is a, I think this is a great deal for the Sixers. I mean, long term, 
You can talk about long-term, but with Philadelphia, with Joel Embiid there, his injury history anyway, I don't think they're in a position to look long-term. They have to be trying to win now. Embiid's been around for a number of seasons. They haven't got past the second round. Uh, this year has to be the time for them. But it's going to be really fascinating. I mean, I, I can't believe this deal went down. I did suspect it was going to go. And we should say, full credit to our man, Brian Windhorst, who yesterday, the day before the deadline, came out and said, don't listen to these people that are telling you these teams aren't talking. I'm telling you now, these teams are talking. I'm not guaranteeing a deal is going to go down, but the two sides are talking and working towards it. So shout out to Windy. That's uh, just a superb work pre-deadline uh, from Brian Windhorst there. Joe Ingles, before we wrap this up, we should talk about Joe. And uh, again, most of the listeners to this podcast will be aware he was traded to the Portland Trailblazers. There was a number of teams, a number of players that went down, but just talk specifically about Joe Ingles being traded after he tore his ACL. I think most people understood this was a possibility, but Steve, did you think that this was actually going to go down? And then when you look at the return, which was essentially Nikhil Alexander-Walker, 23-year-old guard slash wing, who's got some talents and he will probably be in the rotation, plus Wancho, Hernan Gomez as well. Did you think that this was a trade? This was the, the potential mechanics of a trade that made sense. So how did you read this whole situation? Yeah, I, I think it made sense. I think, you know, the, the reaction from people that, that aren't Joe Ingalls um, was interesting because Joe always knew and he had said from the word go that, okay, if, if they can trade me and help them, you know, help their, their roster this year, then he was, he was open to that. And I think the way he's handled that is is a real testament to his class and, and how he understands the way the business works. It's, it's a good, it's as good a deal as you could hope for from, from Utah's perspective. Um, and I think, I think you look at it and you look and you, you say, look, Utah probably assuming that um, Portland waived Joe or, or at the end of the year, they, they don't re-sign him or anything like that, that he gets a, a sweetheart deal from Utah for one year, kind of like how Delhi did in Cleveland. Um, and you know, it's it's a thank you for services rendered that he, he gets a, a one year one year deal to come back. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the first thing in my mind is yeah, it, it's we've seen it, it's a business in the NBA, it's in pro sports and it's brutal. But uh, I, I'm holding a lot of my comments back until I see if they do re-sign him in that free agency for that one year. And ideally, I think waving Portland waving him would be a blessing in disguise, so that way he doesn't have to go over there do all that was rehab with that because he's mentioned before the trade happened, I think he was even tweeting or said that um, he'll be around the team. He wants to just do all that. He, he's obviously got family. They've uproot, they're rooted in in the Utah, in the system, everything there, the organization. So waving him would be probably the best thing so he can just stay around there, focus on his rehab, have a little bit to do here and there. And then you just hope and wish that everything happens where they just sign him in that one-year deal as a free agent uh, and he can really just slot in when he becomes healthy, just that veteran and um, good culture guys are hard to find in any sporting organization, and especially guys who have meant so much to the head coach, the whole organization, the teammates absolutely love him. The fans love him. It seems like a no-brainer. But we've seen crazy things happen in the NBA, but it seems like a no-brainer that, yes, we had to do this to help us right now. Uh, I know we don't want to do it, but to help us in the situation with the unfortunate injury that you've had to deal with. And you'd hope there'd be some sort of, phone call that said, look, we're going to do this now, but don't tell anyone. We're going to pick you up again in free agency. That's the way we're looking at it. And again, even if that was said, it's all taken with a grain of salt in the end because it's still a professional and you've got to do what's best for the organization. But if that's the way it turns out, then that's got the silver lining of what's been a tough couple of weeks for Joe Ingles. 
I think probably the only part of this that made me raise my eyebrows a little bit was that I did think, and Utah had the potential to trade a first-round pick there as well. And and I thought if they were going to trade Joe Ingles, just because of what we know, what he means to that locker room, I thought that they would have attracted or tried, and maybe that wasn't possible, and this is hard to say from the outside, but I thought that they would have brought in a player that I think moves the needle a little more than than Alexander Walker. I, I don't think that this is a move that helps them get closer to the championship at all, which then when you look at it, what did Utah get out of this? Well, given the fact that they moved 14 and a half million of salary and they brought in uh, approximately, it's around 11 million with the luxury tax uh, calculations, they saved $11 million. So the owners saved $11 million. So, I think when you look at it from that perspective, and I always say this is not our, it's not our job to care about owners' money, the, the millionaires, billionaires. It's not our job. $11 million is a lot of money. And if you look at the deal and say, well, this doesn't actually help Utah win a title this year, I think that there is reason why people may say, okay, well, I don't like this move. I think this is, this is the heartless side of basketball. We understand how it works. We understand it's a business. But to me, I don't actually see this move as something that helps the Jazz. I see this as purely a financial move, which does make me raise my eyebrows a little bit just based on what we've seen from Joe, even if I understand it. And I would say that if I had to make a bet beforehand, they were going to do this. It's interesting the way they played out. I would have liked to see if Joe was going to get traded. It was more of an impactful player coming back to help them right now. Well, the... Yeah, Alexander Walker, yes, I, I think he's got potential. He's, he's shown signs and flashes of what he can do. But the way that that team has always been set up the last couple of years, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley run the show as starters. And as soon as Jordan Clarkson checks in, that ball was going to him and that ball was going up. That is exactly what happens. Joe is out there to facilitate. He would shoot the open three. He's out there just to be that veteran leader. He's a great passer. Alexander Walker is not Joe Ingles. And he's, he's going to be quicker, obviously. The slow-mo Joe is, goes about his business. But there's no way you can bring in someone and expect them to take anything away from what Jordan Clarkson has done extremely well for the last three years. And that's I'm with you on that. That raises eyebrows of, well, what did you, what did you really get out of this besides potentially upsetting a few people and potentially upsetting Joe? A lot of cashola. That's the answer to that. <laughs> and uh, take this with a grain of salt, but interim GM... Uh, with the Blazers, Joe Cronin did actually say earlier today that the Blazers do value the fact that they will have Joe Ingles' bird rights in free agency coming up here, which, again, we'll wait and see how this plays out. But just based on that comment, it maybe sounds like uh, Portland is fine hanging on to Joe. They shedded a lot of salary over the last few days here, so there's no luxury tax implications for Portland. Uh, Maybe they do have some intention to try and sign uh, Joe Ingles. And this is... The difficult part for Utah, if you do trade away Joe Ingles, then you give away those rights. Portland can uh, can uh, ensure that they keep him there and we'll see uh, what happens and Joe Ingles will have a decision to make. I guess the last question I've got for you guys after everything we've seen today and we haven't touched on all the trades that have gone down. Steve, who is the NBA title favourite? Oh, boy. Um, look, you still have to go through Milwaukee. And as... as- you know, as up and down as they've been and the things they've had to deal with, getting Serge Ibaka is a sneaky good move for them, um, a guy with championship experience. So I still say if you, they're still the faves until they get knocked off. That's that's where I sit right now. Paul? Cool. I've got a couple, but I don't know who to pick from. As a Brooklyn fan, I'm not going to say. But I'm, I'm going to say Golden State. I think if Draymond can get back healthy, uh, Andrew Wiggins, he's playing with extreme confidence, his role. 
Clay Thompson's getting games under his belt. Jordan Poole off the bench. Again, we talk about role clarity. They're going to have that figured out when Draymond gets back. It changes everything. They're still going to be incredible with the Splash Brothers at full strength. I just see them absolutely taking any series they have and just running away with it. The Phoenix Suns are the other one. I think again, you've been there. You've been close enough. You bring back the, the same squad. Chris Paul, he wants that so bad. Devin Booker is an absolute stud. So they're another one I think is going to be up there. But I really can't wait to see Golden State with Draymond back. I'm a, I'm a fan of the no drama contender. And uh, the two no drama contenders for me, Milwaukee and Phoenix, I think they're running it back. I think we're going to have the same finals last year. There's never any problems with those teams. They just go out, they play. Obviously, health uh, health permitting, that's a big thing for, you mentioned Sergio Parker and Brooke Lopez, obviously a big piece for the Bucks. Chris Paul always, by the end of the season, hopefully he can stay healthy. But I'd be, I'd be betting that we're running it back. And by the way, we've got to wrap this up because the Bucks are about to play the Suns. And we all need to watch this mm. game. Maybe game of the season, boys. Well, are you are you a bit of a Bucks guy? Eh? I wouldn't have known. Wait, this is fan. news. Wait, not, he's not kept this quiet. I'm not a fan <laughs> of anyone. I'm not a fan of anyone. I just uh, do my job and spend some time with Milwaukee. Thank you. Thank well, you very much. You've, you've got the MVP. Time, MVP's calling out to him. MVP calling my name, saying he needs to be over there. So. Maybe that's the reason he wants to finish running it back because Giannis has just hit him up on the side saying, Kane, we're going to the finals. I'm flying you back out here. I'll send the jet out and we'll go from there. So, you know what? If that's the way it is, I think that the Milwaukee Bucks are going to win it as well. Tell me honest that. Yep. Yep. That's it. I'm going to get back for postseason time. That's the plan. We'll see what happens. Uh, fellas, this was good. Uh, impromptu, we didn't know. We had this loosely scheduled and we said, if it goes <laughs> down, we've got to break this down. So, hopefully... Uh, everyone has enjoyed this. Obviously, uh, for me, one of the uh, more interesting days every year on the NBA schedule. I love trade deadline day. And now we can turn our attention to the postseason, uh, which is a good part. We can see the finish line here of the regular season. So Peter Hawley, Steve Smith, thank you very much. Like I said at the top, make sure you check out all the latest news, highlights, scores, whatever you need at ESPN.com.au. They will have you covered. And uh, by the way, I should plug our previous podcast that we launched yesterday josh giddy if you're an australian basketball fan you obviously have a great interest in josh giddy so make sure you go back and check out the conversation with josh from oklahoma city but for now like i said for pete for steve myself we'll catch you guys next time